It is the 200 level episode 344. Mr. Black is back. Good old Harry Black going to join us here in just a little bit via Zoom all the way from Connecticut. Excited to talk with him for the first time on the podcast in a couple years, maybe. I mean, it's been a while and surprised that we didn't really catch up with him last year during a resurgent Illinois football season. But I know he's excited, as excited as I am. I'm not sure. And we'll see if he can't make it back for a game this year. I know he was kind of circling that Purdue game and probably fortunate that he didn't make the trip for that. But really excited to catch up with Harry Black from the 93.5 days and a good friend and doing well out east. And also a professional bodybuilder. I'll ask him about that later. But we have some news I want to get to before we get into the conversation with Harry. And namely, we have some clarity with the two deep. Now, the big news this week, of course, is Luke Altmeyer getting the starting nod. Not a surprise to anybody, of course, the worst kept secret. But at the same time, it is nice to kind of just have that settled. And all the things coming out of camp from the coaches, from the players, seem to indicate that this was not particularly close. And that's how you want it to be. If you're going to bring this guy in for potentially three years from a school like Ole Miss, you want to make sure that it's worth it. Now, As to whether or not he's going to be a Tommy DeVito level of good, that remains to be seen. But I do think it's fair to think that there are things that he can do better than Tommy, and there are things he will not do as well as Tommy. And you just hope that cumulatively, they add up to be a slightly better passing offense than last year. I think the supporting cast will help. I think the wide receivers that he has around him and the depth of that position will help. I think the offensive line and the returning experience there, that only helps. And I also like the fact that he is not a young sophomore. Uh, This is someone that's actually been playing this level of college football for three years now. This is his third year. And the first year, I was was listening to Jeremy and Joey earlier this afternoon, and I didn't realize that as a true freshman, he was competing for the starting spot at Ole Miss. As a true freshman. Ended up losing it to some guy that finished in the top 10 in Heisman voting. Not bad. Jackson Dart comes in as a transfer last year. He gets the job. Okay, well, that stinks, but that doesn't mean that Luke Altmeyer is less than. It just means that they got someone that's a little bit better. And it is a little bit different of a beast down in the SEC as well. Plus, you are not asking him to be a Lane Kiffin-esque quarterback. You're asking him to be a Brett Bielema, Barry Lunny-esque quarterback. Someone that can deliver the ball, make the occasional deep throw. I think he can do that. I was watching a little bit of his press conference or press availability from earlier today. And Mr. Personality, he is not. However, I did detect this sort of unflappability. I think that what one could construe as boring or, you know, kind of a drawl sense of humor almost, that he's someone that's not going to be too high or too low. He will not be the vocal rah-rah guy, and sometimes you wish you had that at quarterback, and it certainly got frustrating when he had a Brandon Peters back there who just would not take the reins at all. But I don't get the sense that there's a lack of leadership so much as his leadership is going to be very different. And as a sophomore or redshirt sophomore quarterback surrounded by a lot of veterans on this offense, I think that there are enough other guys that can take those leadership responsibilities so the onus is not entirely on him. The good news is you are not asking Luke Altmaier to be a star. doesn't have to be. He needs to be merely good. And all indications point to him being able to do that. But of course, as we sit here, 10 days away or whatever it may be from the game, that's the unknown. 
and it happens to be the biggest unknown next to, or maybe just in front of, defensive back. Now, one other thing that I thought was interesting this week is the clarity we got with the secondary. We knew that Taz Nicholson would be a starting corner. We figured that Tyler Strain would be the opposite starting corner. That seems to be the case. It sounds like Xavier Scott, there are two Scots. Me and Trevor were kind of like, what? Okay, how many Scots are there? There are two. It sounds as if Xavier Scott will be your nickelback. And they really like him. And I would recommend to anybody that is looking for much more in-depth and up-to-the-minute coverage, listen to the Illini Inquirer podcast. You probably already do, for good reason. But it was interesting to hear just how much praise is being lauded on Xavier Scott. And then you got the other Scott, Miles Scott, who has apparently taken a big step at the free safety position. So you have four of your five basically locked in. Matthew Bailey would have been the other, but as we sit here today, that's not going to happen until at least Penn State. Now, that stinks. It does, because he was one of the more proven commodities back there. But I like that you had an entire camp to work all these new pieces in. Sounds like it's strong safety. You're looking at a mix of Clayton Bush and uh, Demetrius Hill. There was no mention yet of Nicario Harper. I'm sure he'll be kind of a jack-of-all-trades back there, but it's kind of nice to get a little bit more clarity on what that secondary is going to look like. I'm trying to think if there are any other big nuggets back there on Monday, that press availability. I mean, you got John Paddock as your backup quarterback. Not a huge surprise. Maybe a little bit more reliable than a Donovan Leary. And then elsewhere on the offense, it sounds like the running backs are doing great. I continue to be... Not shocked, but kind of surprised at the uber confidence being exuded by the staff all the way to the highest level with Brett Bielema, that Josh McCray and Reggie Love are great. Hey, maybe they are. Maybe with this offensive line, they will be. But I understand why Trevor, when I spoke with him, was a little bit leery that, hey, we're just going to pretend like, you know, replacing Chase Brown is easy or that you can just make up those yards. We both think that they will, which might be an odd thing to say for someone that sounds skeptical or you know, not quite cynical. Let's just go with skeptical. Like me and Trevor about a Reggie Love being a full-time back or a Josh McCray being a full-time back. But I will, at least at this point, sort of defer to Bielema and the track record that he has had with really good run games and knowing that last year's run game as a whole was somewhere middle of the pack Big Ten and that it can get better, and it might look different, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Anything else? Wide receiver, that's well-documented. That's locked in. Offensive line, sounds like Geske will be on the right side, maybe above Slaughter, and you got your left side and your center. That's all figured out. Defensive line. One other thing that was interesting, a name that was, I was seeing it kind of pop up in the Twitter timeline with those that were at the media availability, Listen, again, highly recommend it to Jeremy and Joey's podcast. And Denzel Daxon is a name that was not even on my radar going into camp. Maybe not many people's radar. And apparently he's getting all that signature Bielema staff praise, including from Antoine Jameson, your D-line coach, as a potential nose tackle. Now, t Ra Edwards got a lot of playing time at nose tackle last year. It's one of those positions that you don't pay a lot of attention to but can be absolutely crucial when you have two really good guys on the edge, or not the edge, but two good defensive ends in Newton and Randolph. 
And yes, good guys on the edge, edge, like Seth Goldman and Gabe Ackes. So if you can get a space eater in that nose tackle position and Denzel Daxon happens to be it, as Jeremy made a good point of saying, if all of a sudden T-Rod Edwards is your backup at nose tackle, that's a pretty good place to be. That's depth at a position where you didn't necessarily think that you had it. So clarity. I mean, kicking, they say it's the competition between David Alano and Caleb Griffin. I don't know. And I didn't hear much about punting. So I I guess we'll just go with Hugh Robertson's the punter. I feel like we would have maybe heard a little bit more about that, but don't be surprised if we get the rug pulled out from under us on September 2nd. And that's what we're gunning towards. September 2nd, we are so darn close to the opener. And as we get close to it, here's the plan. Harry Black today, Sunday or Monday, we will do a solo pod, and it will be with the help of your listener mailbag. I'll throw a question out there, probably just about season expectations. You know, what what do you think the record will be? And what are the key moments? Just kind of predictive fun. And that's really what the preseason is all about. We're predicting. We are just kind of guessing. Though it's a lot more fun to guess about positives, which I think this team gives you plenty of reason to do, than, oh God, are we going to go three and nine? Which I don't think this team is going to do. So that will be Sunday or Monday. And then next week, excited for this, next Friday, this is September 1st, our first ever live podcast. We're going to be at Poor Brothers Craft Tap Room in downtown Champaign. So if you live in Champaign-Urbana, you know this place. Probably have been awesome spot. Uh, Jason, the guy that runs it, a part owner, just one of the nicest guys around. And they just run this thing like a well-oiled machine. I can say that as someone that's played there as a band. I can say that as someone that's went to other events there. So we're really excited to try this live show at this spot. Poor Brothers Craft Tap Room next Friday, September 1st, 6 o'clock. We'll probably go for about an hour, maybe a little bit over that. And we will be inside by the corner window. You'll see a big 200-level flag. Come out, grab some beer. And it's not just craft beer. If you're like me and you don't do the beer thing, you like the whiskey, I love the whiskey, you like the rum, or if you even like domestics, these guys are not snooty about what you drink because they got everything there, and it's really good prices too. So that's Poor Brothers excited to get out there next Friday, September 1st, 6 o'clock. We'll get there about 5 o'clock, start setting up, so if you want to come say hi, please do. We'd love to meet you and uh, shake your hand and imbibe with you. I think we might imbibe on the show. There's nothing stopping us. We aren't on terrestrial radio, and I, yeah, well, why not? So that's next Friday. We got three more episodes. This one, Sunday and Monday, one of those, uh, we'll get that listener mailbag out in the next Friday. And then it's game day. Now, the plan for the season is that the day after games, mostly Sundays, we will do a reaction pod, let's say 10 o'clock in the morning, something like that, 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. We'll do it live on YouTube. We'll get that live chat going. That will be the day after games. I don't plan on doing many post games, especially for home games, because we're tailgating and all that, and then you get back out to the lot afterwards, and you're tearing down the setup, and yeah, it's just too much. So we will do it the next day. But if it's an away game, then we plan on doing the second half pods. So we have that to look forward to. Busy year ahead, and hopefully a successful one for Illini football. But I will say that the anticipation building into this season I've seen it in the numbers it's like we take three months off essentially we come back and we're getting the biggest numbers we have ever 
which tells me that there is a a level of excitement this preseason that we have not probably felt since 2008. And when I say 2008, of course it makes us leery and a little scared, but I'm only going off of the fact that we're genuinely excited going into a season at a level that we haven't been in 15 years. So that's that's good news. All right, before we get to Harry Black, the one and only Harry Black, got to let you know that the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe. Online at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices. dpdoe.com. Hopefully on September 2nd, you can have a celebratory late-night calzone after Illinois beats Toledo. Let's hope they do, and let's hope you can enjoy that celebratory calzone, and they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. So go online to dpdoe.com and order a custom calzone with any of your favorite toppings or one of their favorites like the Maui Wowie or the Buffer Zone online at dpdoe.com. Hey, Dogtown Heating Gear and Plumbing, what better time to talk about these guys than in the middle of the biggest heat wave we've had all summer? It hasn't been the hottest summer, but it's a good reminder that you want your AC purring like a kitten, and pretty soon, we're going to have to get that furnace check as well. I know we are going to schedule ours for early, mid-October, and they did that last fall in the winter. We were nice and toasty all winter long, and we got an older furnace, so their tune-up was absolutely perfect for what we needed, and our AC that they came out and checked in the spring, it's kicking butt too. We trust these guys. I know that you can trust them as well. Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. Give them a call today at 217-841-4728. That's Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing, your home's best friend. State Farm Agent Brian Hansen, online at brianismyguy.com. Love Brian and the staff over there. Obviously, Brian's great on the air. You know that. You heard him back in basketball season. But also, as an insurance agent, the communication they have is second to none. I just got a call today, and they like to do like a once-a-year check-in. They don't hassle you, but a once-a-year check-in, and they wanted to get something scheduled in the books, and uh, Karen and I will do that coming up in the next month or so. But what I love the most about State Farm Agent Brian Hansen, other than the State Farm prices, is that anytime you need something, they're extremely quick getting back to you. So that's brianismyguy.com. State Farm Agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Finally, Owen Builders LLC, Luke Owen and the staff at Owen Builders. These guys are pro craftsmen and they can do most home renovation projects that you're looking at. Now, to give you some examples, decks and patios, home additions, kitchen, bathroom, some exterior, some interior, they can do a lot of it. And they're going to give you competitive prices because, hey, they, they are a new company. They are fresh. They're, they're, ready to get after it. And I've seen the gallery online of the work that they've done. It's very impressive. And as Kara and I look at our old, we we love our house, but it's old. It's going to need some work. And I know that Luke's going to be the first person we call. So why not check out OwenBuildersLLC.com. Check out the gallery of stuff they've already done and think about what they can do for your house. So that's OwenBuildersLLC.com. One more thing that's kind of cool happening here. Got to thank Champagne Center Partnership for uh, joining up with us for one month. And they got the Street Fest on Campus Town. It's happening September 9th, 1 to 7 o'clock. That is Saturday, September 9th. There is no home football game. In fact, it will be the day after Illinois beats Kansas, right? That's the hope. You can enjoy live free music in Campus Town, dance performances. You can shop local vendors, explore a global array of restaurants. They call it the Chow Down in Campus Town. Brilliant name. Presented by JSM Living in the city of Champaign and powered by the Champaign Center Partnership online at Champaign Center. So thank you, CCP, for joining us. All right, Harry Black joined us in 93.5 back in 2015, 2016, after he finished playing for Illinois. Maybe it was 2017 because he did play one year for Lovey. 
He comes in the first day, he's wearing a suit, dressed to the nines, and meanwhile, Jeremy Warner is in his trusty cargo shorts, and Lon is in his jorts or something, wearing sandals. Maybe he was wearing cacks, I forget. And <laughs> just the nicest guy imaginable, and I, I just told him rather gingerly, hey, I appreciate you dressing up, but you don't need to worry about that. You know, it's, it's radio. No one really cares. But it was so great getting to know Harry over the years, and me and him and Trevor and Lon developed a great rapport on that afternoon show and are still friends to this day. Um, before I get to Harry, also Champagne Showers Podcast Network, Boswell, I'm, I apologize. I saw him when I was running on campus yesterday in this extreme heat. So there we go. Champagne Showers Podcast Network. We appreciate being a part of them. Uh, but Harry Black, working for ESPN, living out in Connecticut, we are lucky enough to have him join us via Zoom to talk the 2023 Illini football season, and I'm excited to get the perspective of a former player. Harry Black. Harry Black, it's been way too long. I think the last time we talked may have been the Lovey Smith era. As not you and I, but just on the 200 level, and Trevor recalled the last time he was on the show Sunday that you, me, and him, the last time we did a football league kind of 200 level was after we almost beat Iowa with Lovey Smith, and we felt so great. And then Andrew Marty, the four-string quarterback, came in and ran it down our throat. So, <laughs> you know, I was listening to that podcast, like, earlier today, um, and I thought it was so funny when I heard him, because I remember Trevor, I remember him saying, and then I heard on the podcast, him saying something to the effect of it was after that four game streak we just beaten or lost to Iowa, but we all kind of felt good about it. And then Andrew Marty, and then he just when he said that name, my mind just kind of went blank as far as what the rest of what he said was because all I thought was, yeah, that just sounds like the ninth string quarterback <laughs> at Northwestern, <laughs> and and you could have. He starts describing what he did because I didn't see that game. I was on a plane when that game happened. I just assumed we were going to win, and I was very wrong. But it's so funny. Him describing him sounds like exactly what he was, a four-string quarterback at Northwestern wearing those ugly-ass white and purple jerseys just running up the middle and somehow making it work against us because that was uh, – yeah, you guys said we should have fired Lovey on the spot right there, and I have a hard time disagreeing <laughs> with uh, what happened in the next next season as well. When you said your your brain kind of left you, I'm imagining Ned Flanders explaining cider and apple juice to Homer, <laughs> and you just collapse on the ground when you get off the plane and hear that Andrew Marty rushed for 200-plus yards against Lovey Smith's vaunted defense. But it's it's a far cry from that moment to now, where I got to be honest, for the first time since... 2008, and I know that's a scary year for Illini fans, but for the first time in 15 years, there is genuine excitement going into the season. But what I'm excited about, Harry, is I don't need that to be followed up by a Big Ten championship. I, I, I don't need that. All I care about is sustained success. So what needs to happen? I mean, if you could do a one, two, three, or just top of mind the things that need to happen, obvious or otherwise, for there to be sustained success after what happened last year? I think the first thing that would have to happen, and this isn't this has nothing to do with like the players there, this has nothing to do with the coaching staff there. This would be more of a this would be more of a just kind of vanquish the thought process we have as Illini alum and Illini fans. And I think you know what I'm gonna say, is we need to finish above five hundred. 
At the end of the day, this is a, a, a program that, like you just said with 2008, every time we've gotten to whatever mountaintop you want to call it for Illinois, which is usually, you know, a couple notches below what a typical mountaintop would be, you know, making the Sugar Bowl, making the Rose Bowl, or, you know, winning a Big Ten championship in 01, but then it's always followed up with disappointment. Not with little disappointment, with massive disappointment, with not even making a bowl game, not even being 500 kind of disappointment. Last year was a huge step in the right direction, obviously. I think it's, I think, I have a hard time kind of, you know, quantifying last year without it sounding like a letdown. Because I say it was a step in the right direction. It was more than that. It was, it was something we, like, personally, I've never seen at Illinois. I see that, I get that taste. And, you know, selfishly as a former player and a, uh, an alum, I just want more. I mean, I'm looking at that and I'm thinking what they left on the table there at the end of the season. I know that they are just they are wanting to get back to some of those situations where it's mid-November and they have a chance to just put their stamp on the season and go to Indy. And I, I know that it's going to be just gnawing at them this whole offseason. I know that sounds a little meatball-y, but when you are that close and you have some of the teams like Purdue to play again, like Indiana to play again, who kind of kept you from, you know, going where you wanted to go. I think it's, it's, I think it's hard not to, um, to say that that's a necessity would be, you know, first one getting to get, getting above 500, you know, and just kind of like vanquishing that, that feeling you have as an Illini fan that the bottom's going to fall out. You mentioned the kind of sticks in their craw. I would imagine what happened at the end of last year, going one and four in the last five. If you want to throw the bowl game in there and that didn't cut quite as deep as the last three losses of the regular season, but it, it also felt like a continuation of ah, so close and yet can't quite get that thing to make it a truly great season. I think we ended what was a very good season right on the cusp of being, being great, but it's really hard to use that big G word when it ended the way it did. So can you, maintain momentum for that long or maybe not momentum but whatever juice you need to remember that disappointment and somehow channel that into success the next year because one of the big narratives i think this year is there are enough veterans on this team that remember the sour taste and they're in crucial enough positions to maybe push illinois all the way to indy which i know that's what they're talking about over there I think in a weird way, you don't need to really conjure up a ton because it, it, it's the same amount of time for everyone, for the fans and the players since last year, since that, say, that Purdue game, for example. But for these guys, they, they're probably reminded about it every day. Every, I mean, whether it's by coaches or whether it's by something cheesy that's like on, on the board in the weight room, you know, say like maybe they just a coach writes the date of that game or the date of this year's upcoming game where everything is, you know, you know, you're, you're doing a lift or you're doing like the end of a workout and whoever the strength coach is, I'm, you know, I haven't been keeping up with the, uh, with the intricacies of the coaching staff, but whoever the coaching staff uh, or whoever the strength coach is says, you know, at the very end, you know, you're going to be tired again in the fourth quarter like you were last year against Purdue. Something cheesy like that just to get under their skin. And when you are on the team and when you're in that facility every day like these guys are, you're kind of in a vacuum. It seems like it just happened. I mean, for us, it, you know, obviously we're almost to the upcoming season. But for them, like I said, when you are around it as often as they are, when you live, you know, eat and breathe this like they do, 
it's it seems almost like it just happened if that makes any sense i mean it, it still feels fresh enough to me and i'm not i'm not in that vacuum i think it's tank right by the way i think that's tank the- right that's a great name for a strength coach, by the way. I think it is. I know Adam Fletcher has been with basketball for a long time. But, you know, w- with the staff, and, and you mentioned that that was a peripheral staff member, but for the ones that are actually the X's and O's guys, I, I want to start at the top with Brett Bielema because when he was hired, I was excited based on the experience. And I thought the floor has been raised, but there were still questions as to whether or not Arkansas was the aberration or if Wisconsin and the success there was merely because he took over for Barry Alvarez. So from what you've seen from Brett Bielema, the way he conducts himself, and the way he runs the program, what are you most impressed by with him? I'll tell you, man, there's two things that have kind of like stuck out to me. The one would be uh, two years ago as Penn State, I remember before that game where what was it? He'd said so, he had said something to the effect of of none of the offensive linemen who are on the team now would be guys that I recruited. Was that what he said? He, he said something. He said, I'm paraphrasing, but basically we have a lack of depth at the offensive line because of the coaching staff that came before us. That we can't really go too deep. And what's amazing is within two years they actually have depth on the offensive line and they have depth on the defensive line and a lot of other positions. But yeah, I recall that because I had a parent teacher conference the day before that game with Mike Bellamy, who was Mike Bellamy, a coach when you were on the team. Yeah, He was a receivers coach. Yeah. And I think, I think the Eagles also drafted him in the uh, either late eighties, early nineties. I think they did. So he came in cause I had a son who was a great kid. They ended up moving halfway through the year. I, I want to say to Texas, but you know, we do the parent-teacher conference. I'm like, your son's great, A's, all that. And then the last 10 minutes were about Illinois football because I was like, now, you happen to be Mike Bellamy, Illinois football, right? And he was no longer with the program. But even he voiced concern that, man, like, I don't know how the guys are going to respond. And the very next day in nine overtimes, albeit, they they beat Penn State, a top-10 team on the road. And that's exactly what I was going to say is the fact that that comment kind of saw the light of day. And it, and I personally thought, oh, my God, this is coming right before this game. They're going to lose by a million. The fact that they were able to rally behind him and just, you know, go in there and pull off one of the biggest upsets we've seen from this team. I mean, it's a top 10 team on the road, like ever. So I know with the, with the situations going around with the with football, because that was still like half fans, right, is that we had coming back um, by that time, if I recall correctly, regardless. Yeah. Wait, wait. So yeah, yeah. say that again. It was it, that kind of season, if I remember correctly, still kind of had a weird taste because a lot of stadiums were doing half fans. Oh, well, that one, no, that was full. So this is 2021, and all the fans yeah. are back. Now, granted, Memorial Stadium was about half full because people weren't bought in yet. Yeah, uh, that, but, yeah. but what was interesting about that is Illinois at the time was a week removed, I want to say, from, or a week or two removed from losing at home to Wisconsin during homecoming 28 nothing. Or twenty eight yeah. seven, but it was it was a blowout by any measure, and it just felt like oh god, this is going to take a lot longer. And then they beat Penn State on the road, they beat Minnesota on the road, they hang in there with Iowa when Brett Bielema had COVID, a bad loss to Rutgers, but a whisker away from making a bowl game after all that. After, yeah, and and just the way the fact that they are able to rally behind him and not kind of turn against him, I thought when that happened, I was like, "That's 
got to be a mark towards something that he's doing behind the scenes. You know, that's got to be something where the, the the players are just thinking, okay, this guy's in our corner. He's saying this for a reason. Let's go out and let's uh let's do what we got to do. So that was the first thing that really kind of, you know, is encouraging for me when it comes to Brett Bielema. And the second one's super obvious. Every game last year, we either won or was close. Every single game last year. The only game I would look at last year, and, and we still only lost by one score, that I never really felt like, you know, was going our way was Michigan State. Yeah. Every other one, you either had the lead and a chance to win, or you know, it was close the entire time. And I mean, the, that is you beat the teams you're supposed to beat, and you beat them badly. And then the teams that you're supposed to be able to hang around with, you either beat them or you hung around with them. So when you're able to give teams like Michigan the closest game of the entire year, when you're able to go into Wisconsin and drop 30 on them and beat them by 20, that one year, as long as, I mean, I find it so hard to believe that it wouldn't be sustainable just because of the fact that, A, we've seen this guy do it at other places, and B, the manner with which you were able to beat these teams last year. You know, you mentioned the closest of all these games, and I, I often say that you were closer to 10-2 and two than you were 6-6, six and six because the wins were all relatively within hand, other than Iowa, which took some breaks. And then the Indiana and Michigan games specifically could, were a play away from going your way. But this is what also blows my mind, Harry, is that going to the first year, you got smoked at Virginia. You got smoked at home against Wisconsin. But every other game that year was a one-score game. Every other loss that year was within a score. You could have beat Maryland at home if it wasn't for a bad punt and the offense being non-existent. Same thing with Purdue the next weekend at Purdue. Should have won there. You should have beat Rutgers at home. All that to say, I think the question I have for you is, is there such a thing as washing the stink out of a program? And what I mean by that is Brett Biola comes in, he's got a way of doing things, but as as hard as the players may try, there are so many things that became routine under the previous administration that you either have to coach it out of them, coax it out of them, just eventually kind of detoxify the whole Smith Performance Center. I would say the closest thing I could think of that really, and especially in college football, that I would say would be an apt analogy and it's obviously on a bigger scale, and they've had more success than we've, you know, had for, with this one year. But there was kind of a sense, say, around a program like Clemson, like back before Dabo really took off with these championships, that yeah, they'll kind of be there, but Clemson is going to Clemson. You know, you got. I mean, it it just takes a couple of, of classes, a couple of years to kind of, I guess, just like do what Illinois did last year, which is go against expectations like that, like. Illinois is not supposed to start seven and one, and that's exactly what we did. I mean, I don't know about you. After the Indiana game last year, I just thought half of me was, God, that was the most annoying game because I knew it was going to happen the entire time it was happening. And then afterwards was, yeah, I, I mean, I'm mad, but I also, like I said, knew it was going to happen. When you're able to have, I guess, years that kind of go in the face of that, like Clemson has been able to have, uh, obviously on a much larger scale. But that's why I just come back to it. It takes little things that Illinois has to do this year as simple as just finishing over 500. Because 
if you're able to do that and make it look like it's not just a blip in the radar, you're able to then see, all right, that's where the marketable progress actually starts. If you look back, say another one like Wisconsin, before before Barry Alvarez, before the early 90s, Wisconsin was nothing. Wisconsin, I mean, you, you look at why Illinois' rivalry or you know uh, record against Wisconsin is so close to 500 is because for the longest time we were basically the same. Then they take off because they have a couple of years of like increased progress. One, I feel like I'm talking in circles, but more than one year is just where you got to be able to see the beginning of like the foothills. So with the sustained success, I mean, that's the mantra up here this year is it, it just has to be sustained success. And you mentioned above 500. Trevor and I both agreed can't be six and seven. Like if you go six and six, you got to win the bowl game because six and seven doesn't feel that great. But the concern, of course, around here are the unknowns. And I want to do one at a time here, starting on the offense. You feel good about the offensive line. Wide receiver core has some depth and some proven commodities there. So you feel like they'll take that next step. Running back, I've never seen a, a coaching staff just heap as much praise on Reggie Love and Josh McCray. I have some questions, but if Brett Bielema, the running back guru from Wisconsin and Arkansas, does not, okay. And Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to go back to is that, I mean, that guy has such a track record with running backs. He's essentially the college version of, do you remember in the early 2000s, late 90s, like, the Broncos had Terrell Davis. He got hurt. Oh, no, we have Mike Anderson. He goes for 1,500 <laughs> yeah. yards. Olandis Gary goes for 1,500. Tatum Bell, Clinton Portis. It seems like, I mean, you don't have those big names, but, I mean, this is the guy who, what was I looked it up the other day because I wanted to know the exact names. I don't remember them. I'm sure you do. I think, like, P.J. Hill mm -hmm. ran for 1,500 yards. John Clay runs for 1,500 yards. Monty Ball. 1500 yards these are guys that he just you know plug and chugs them in there i have no doubt that um that chase brown was a phenomenal talent that we had last year but i find it hard to believe that this guy with the offensive line kind of background the you know the way he builds through the trenches isn't going to be able to take someone and get him to run for 1400 yards we've seen it happen time and time again I'm going to use plug and chug, by the way, throughout the season uh, when <laughs> describing the running game. We're just plugging and chugging back there. It's, now, <laughs> it's, it's like it's like they're just algebra pieces out there. <laughs> so the unknown, of course, is is quarterback. Now, I want you to take that time machine eight years ago or so. It, well, first off. Who were you blocking for? I mean, was this this is the West Lunt tail end of the West Lunt era? A little bit of Riley O'Toole before that. Yeah, my uh, my freshman year would have been Nate Shieldhouse's senior year, um, and then it went into we had we had Wes uh, and we had Riley. We had 2014 where it was Wes and Riley, um, then Wes, and I think as a senior. I forget if West was still there when I was a senior. Twenty fifteen, the Bill Cubit year. Twenty sixteen. Twenty sixteen. Oh yeah, West he was. was actually, I guess yeah, but um yeah, so I guess it would have been West Lunt, Riley O'Toole, uh, Chase Crouch, and Jeff George Jr. That's right. Who won the Michigan State game? All right, That's, so that was that was a fun. I remember thinking like, you know what, we're not very good, but they won the Big Ten East last year. And uh, this is a low for them, and it's a high for us. It was a blast. It was a in a beautiful like early fall or late fall day in Champaign too. One, just a fun time at the stadium, but completely unexpected. Now with quarterback, talking about unexpected, 
we have Luke Altmaier. Now, there's pedigree behind his game, and he's from Starkville. He was the hometown stud. He would have potentially started as a true freshman, but then the guy that started finishes top 10 in the Heisman. Would have started as a sophomore. They go get Jackson Dart, not a bad quarterback. So the one thing that's been talked about with Altmaier, perhaps more than just the unknowns on the field, is his personality. Tommy DeVito, he is not. A little bit quieter, a little bit more uh, timid is not the right word, but soft-spoken. In that room, as an offensive unit, and especially as offensive linemen, they got a block for this guy. What does it take a guy that might be quieter and might not be the rah-rah leader to instill confidence in the guys in front of him, the guys flanking outside at wide receiver, the running backs behind him? What does it take? I mean, I would say personally, you know, as long as, A, he's not standoffish, which it doesn't sound like he is. But, I mean, as simple as it sounds you want to know that if you're giving your guy the time back there if you're doing your job up front he's finding the open man he's doing what he has to do and he trusts that he's got the time from you if he's if you're watching it on tape and you're doing your job and he's back there and he's slinging and he's putting on the money that's all you got to see because then you know that you know he's he's putting in the work that he has to do and you're doing you know what you're got to do so he can actually make those plays I'm a little bit less concerned as time has went on because I feel as if that's the sort of thing that would trickle out from camp. Oh, Luke's not hitting his passes. He's missing wide open receivers. Intermediate routes don't look good. He's There's been none of that. It's only been praised, not just from the coaches, Harry, but also Isaiah Williams has went out of his way to say, whoa, this dude can throw. He's got the deep ball. Everyone has kind of talked about his mobility. I, I just get the feeling that while he's not going to do the 70% Tommy DeVito thing, highly efficient, I think he can overcome that by throwing, I don't know, 60% and then just hitting the occasional home run ball and using his legs. I think there's, are there ways to offset that hyper-efficient short and intermediate thing that Tommy had going last year? I mean, God, how nice. would When have we ever had a home run hitter, by the way? Uh, I'll say Kurt Kittner when he had the wide receivers home run hitter could be God that would just be I was I think I was talking to I think I was talking to uh, Trevor months ago and I said something to the effect of like how cool would it be if come week two um, you know he Luke Altmaier steps in there they say he did pretty good last week that was against Toledo we'll see how he does this week against Kansas and then it becomes the Luke Altmaier game, where he went for 450 yards on the road at Kansas. Why not? I mean, I, I, I'm just waiting for us to have that YouTube video game, um, if that makes any sense. But back to your actual question once again. Um, <laughs> Plug and check, Harry. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I think... I think it's hard to say that if you are a home run hitting quarterback like we think he could be uh, and dropping that efficiency down from 70 to 60, that that's really going to, I, I guess I would say, be noticeable in the end line. Because the fact that we were just marching down the field last year, it takes more time for you to do so. So you need to be more efficient. If you got a guy that's occasionally, you know, he's still getting the job done, he's still being somewhat efficient, and then he has the capability to, you know, end the series on a 40-yard touchdown pass down the middle, I mean, that right there, it, it makes it up for itself. So I w that's not something that I'm terribly worried about, especially since I almost equate like a super efficient quarterback to just having a running back that takes the ball four yards, five yards up the middle every time. So I think last year might have been almost, and this isn't a bad thing, 
but an overkill of efficiency. You know, you had you had your running back putting you in second and six, third and two, and then if you're you know not feeling comfortable to th- uh, run the ball on third and two, you throw it five yards because your quarterback's going to make that throw nine times out of ten. Now, I mean, I still think you're going to have that running back, you know, just because of the offensive line that Brett's built it everywhere he goes. I still think you're going to have that situation with whoever you put in the backfield. And I think pretty much any quarterback worth his salt is going to be able to pick up those third and shorts, just like Tommy did last year. So before I get to the unknown on the defensive side, I I want to focus real quick. Gosh, darn it, Harry, I had a question for you. I don't normally blank out, but my interviewing <laughs> skills have fallen off. Well, okay, you were talking about the the efficient offense was almost a dead end last year at certain points. I wanted to get one possible football misnomer out of the way. I wanted to run this by you. Is there any truth to the notion that it gets harder to score the closer you get to the end zone? Is it true that the less space an offense has to work with, the more difficult it is to actually punch it in? Hence, all the red zone issues that Illinois had last year. It does get a little tougher. I mean, because simply put, they have, like, just think about it like this way. You're at midfield. You have 11 people trying, you know, 11 people within a two-yard area. So you have more of an advantage in the short intermediate. They got to guard 50 yards of space behind them. If you're in, like, inside the 10, they have the same amount of people they did before, but they're squeezed. You know, there's only so much room. A ball can get tipped. The ball can get batted. You know, it, it does become harder. Now, I will say this. Anytime I hear someone say something to the effect of, like, oh, well, you know, they got a false start on the two yard line. That's probably, you know, they probably would be okay with that because now they're five. That's, that's nonsense. You want to be as close as you can because a lot of, you know, personally as an offensive lineman, you want to be able to impose your will. You want to be able to drive the ball down their throat the closer you get there. So I would say that's usually more of a problem with, say, like the receivers or the secondary because you got to run these routes. You got to be a lot more concise. You got to be a lot more tight and put, put together. But I mean, if they're still out there doing their job, unless they start to cheat up towards the offensive line, if the offensive line's doing their job, they're still going to be able to run those zones, those powers, and get three, four yards a pop. And then when they start to cheat, put more people in the box because they see, okay, they're closer, that's when you're able to open up the passing game a little bit more. So I would say it's de- it really kind of boils down to how effective you are, like it always does, in the trenches to see if you're able to open that up because – they don't have to respect the run game, then yeah, it does get uh, tougher the closer you get. Can you explain why they had such a issue just punching it in last year? Is it does it sometimes become a thing like how basketball a decent free throw shooter can go in this weird slump where all of a sudden they have a hell of a time making a free throw? It, it gets in their head. So does it get in the head of the play caller? Does it get in the, the head of the eleven guys that are out there on a third and goal from the five, thinking, "Oh no, not again." I think what it might be is the mindset, because you do have goal line packages. You have certain situations where you put different people out there, which I never really understood why you're going to put someone out there to carry the ball within the you know two, three, four yard line when they haven't been doing that all the way to get you down to where you're at right then. Um, but I mean, I would imagine it's partly because, I, I would say it's partly because people saw how like effectively we were running the ball, so they would probably start to cheat down, you know, the closer you got. 
we're, we were a team last year with one of the best running backs in the country. And when you get closer to the goal line, he is a little smaller statured. They're going to try to put more people in there to try to force you to throw the ball. And I think, I mean, I, I loved our, our offense last year. I love Tommy, but I think that if you look at that between the passing and the, uh, and the running, it's evident which one of them was our strength. So I think that's really all I think it was. As I, I do think that teams probably saw, okay, this is their bread and butter. Let's make us, let's make them beat us the other way. The defensive side, the unknown is the secondary. I mean, we know what the defensive line is. Fantastic. We know that the outside linebackers can get to the quarterback. Gabe Ackes and Seth Coleman, great duo. You feel fine about Tariq Barnes in the middle. Really good linebacker. So with the defensive secondary, I mentioned in the opening segment before you hopped on, they kind of have it figured out, it sounds like. You got Taz Nicholson and Tyler Strain as your corners. They have Xavier Scott as your nickelback slash star is what they call that position. And they are heaping praise on him like they did Quan Martin last year. I mean, it is reaching that kind of level. And then at safety with Matthew Bailey out, it looks like at free safety, you're going to have Miles Scott, a converted wide receiver. Again, they're praising him. And then strong safety, you have either Demetrius Hill or Clayton Bush, two guys that they brought in this year. You lost Quan Martin, who had an amazing interception last night. I saw that. That was commanders. And then you have, well, top five pick in Devin Witherspoon, and then Sidney Brown killing it for your Eagles. He is, oh my God, he already looks like he's he could be a starter this year. Oh, they're going to love him out there. I mean, are they not going to love Sidney Brown? And oh my God, they already love him. Yeah. They, a lot of people, I mean, I think my brother told me that like a lot of the people on the Twitter were saying that it was maybe a reach for where they were at in the draft pick. And I was like, what are you crazy? Have you seen this guy play? He's going to be a He's going to be a star. The Twitter here, it's the X. It's the oh, X yeah. now. Remember? Yeah. Ah, anywho. Yeah. I got to be I got to be with it. I'm not I'm not hip like the kids are these days <laughs> with the with the Twitter and the X. Someone said that at school when the teacher said, "I'm hip, I'm with it." And then I started doing the Dr. Evil. Okay, so uh, with that secondary, the optimist in me says, "Okay, if you got athletes and they're well coached, that is the area of the defense that you can reload more so than, let's say, a defensive line with a preseason All-American and Johnny Newton and a preseason All-Big Ten Keith Randolph. And that also there's a complementary aspect to this where the defensive line and the outside linebacker's ability to get to the quarterback is going to make the job easier for these guys that are relatively green back there. But what are the concerns? Yeah, well, I mean, I would say... And this, I, I try to catch myself with just being because I I am getting excited for this year, and I'm and I've been I've been wearing the orange glasses, which you know me, I tend not to do. You and Trevor, um, neither of you do that. Yeah, but I mean, with with w- again, I come back to this coaching staff. This was a uh, secondary last year that coming into the season we knew could you know it was going to be it was pretty good. I don't think anyone saw Devin Weatherspoon and said at the beginning of the year, this guy's going to be the fifth pick in the draft. No. That's coaching. That's coaching right there. And, I mean, we saw Sidney Brown. He's been doing it for a couple of years. But the fact that you have two other players in the secondary go from, okay, they're good pieces when, you know, the previous coaching staff was here, to they are legitimate NFL players, probably of those three Two of them, at least, are going to be starters in their rookie year at some point. So that's kind of what leads me to just think this coaching staff, if they have the athletes, like you said, 
if they have the athletes and they have the time to coach them up, and a lot of these guys got experience in the bowl game, by the way, because of guys like Devin and guys like Sydney sitting those games out for the draft. I think that's I think that experience is so is so helpful. I think it is helpful that this team in general, not just the defense, is going to hit the ground running, but especially the secondary is going to be tested early on against a team like Kansas. I I think that my concerns would be that they are green, but I almost think that those concerns are like met and answered a little bit with the coaching staff, with the proven track record, and the fact that you're going to be tested early. You're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to get your your ducks in a row. You got to know what you're doing. So, almost a trial by fire thing. Yeah, that that's my hope as well. And you you mentioned the coaching staff there. And when you look at a Kirby Joseph that was not on the two deep at the start of Bealman's first season, and now he's a stud, a star, basically he, for the Lions. Uh, well, he uh, he caught. Aaron Rodgers last pass in uh in Green Bay, didn't he? He picked him off three times last year. That's Twice. awesome. So yeah, I think if there is one position and also the fact that you retained Aaron Henry, who was the D backs coach, and I know Ryan Walters had a lot to do with that. Uh, and we'll see what happens at Purdue. But I guess another follow up to that, Harry, is how is this defense? Because it's a fairly aggressive defense, is it not? How do they avoid giving up more big plays. I mean, they got a single safety hanging back there. Ball hawk. Last year, it was Kendall Smith. This year, it's going to be Miles Scott, it sounds like. But honestly, the way Kirby Joseph played back there two years ago, it seems like whoever they slot back there is eventually going to be an NFL player based on interceptions alone. So how do they avoid that? Uh, that, that part is tough. And I think, weirdly enough, I would almost say that depends more so on if this front uh this front seven can live up to the billing i mean if if um if randolph and newton are able to be the <laughs> i mean both of them are projected like top 10 picks aren't they well johnny New- johnny newton is and then keith randolph is looking at you know still within the first three rounds okay by coming well, back yeah, yeah. i might have hyped him up a little bit there but still the fact that you have two guys with that kind of you know talent on your front seven i think it's got to come down to you don't want to have to bring too much extra help with pressure aside from your um your four down and that's a lot to put on these guys but i would say that the um the encouraging thing is that it seems like you know you got you got the horses you got what you think you need as far as like you know defensive linemen to get that done because as far as stopping the home run hits I mean, like you said, you don't have that same that same defensive backfield that you had last year. And as much as I was just, you know, hyping them up for as far as the coaching that I know is going into it, it's it's there's a clear like there was last year without um with your passing game and your running game on offense. There's a clear okay, what are we going to going to attack when it comes to uh to this defense? Are we going to attack these two preseason you know all these watchless players? Or are we going to go against the um, the secondary that's been decimated by the draft? I mean, it's 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 you know you know which way they're going to go. Going into a game like Toledo, a team that is projected to win the MAC, not to you know crap on the MAC. I mean, you could do worse as a conference, but I I think it is a significant step down from the Big Ten, obviously in terms of athletes and size, especially in the trenches, which is why I feel a little bit okay going into a game that otherwise would have me puckering up. 
But in that locker room, before a game like that, season opener already has the juice behind it. The way last season ended only adds juice to it because you really want to have a big year. I actually wonder, Harry, does it not help to have a, a somewhat quality opponent the the first week? I, I, I'm trying to find a silver lining in the bad luck of, ah, oh, damn it, now Toledo's good, go figure. But actually, I am even more confident that there is no way that Illinois can take them lightly, and if they don't take them lightly, they should get the job done. Yeah, no, I... I, I... And I think I mentioned this a little bit earlier. I actually like the fact that you're starting with the uh, with the competition that you're starting with. Um, I know you have one game outside of say Northwestern this year that you're looking at and saying W right away. And I'd say probably- th- I'd say three. You got three in Northwestern, Indiana, Ford Atlantic, all at home. Those are the I. They got to be the gimmies. Yeah. Well, yeah, and then that's. I always just I, I try to stay away from any Big Ten games as a gimme because I've been you know burned with that in the past. But with Florida Atlantic, I mean that's this year's you know Western Kentucky. Actually, they were pretty good. I guess I guess you would say like a, a Western Illinois, you know, a Kent State, something like that, a Murray State, a team that you look at and you say you should beat them by fifty. I have no problem with us starting the season against quality competition, even if it is the MAC. I, I don't know if this Toledo team is going to be qu- quite the level of, say, a PJ Fleck Western Michigan team, um, but they could very well be one of those teams that you know goes ten and two in the MAC and is ranked in the final, you know, top twenty-five at the end of the year. Because all indications are that this is probably going to be the team that represents, you know, or wins the MAC. Um, so. I like the fact that you're starting with that because this is your last chance for, let's be real yeah. for a little bit of a time to compete in the, uh, in the big 10, as far as winning conference, uh, winning a conference championship, whether, you know, they come back with divisions in the upcoming years, if they're going to do, I guess, what, how, who knows what the future holds. We just know that this year is the last chance that you have to win the big 10 West. And, the more quality competition you go up against, even if it, it would absolutely suck if you start the year 0-2, but if that were the thing that kind of sparked this team to say, okay, we got to get our you-know-what together. We just, you know, we got punched in the mouth twice, but we know that these games at the end of the day don't impact what it is we're trying to do and where we're trying to go. We haven't lost a Big Ten game yet. Even then, you play Penn State. Big Ten East team doesn't hurt in a lot of tiebreakers. You could be, and I don't think this is going to happen, and God, I don't want this to happen, <laughs> but you could start 0-3 and be in a situation similar to Northwestern a couple of years ago who also started 0-3 and then went on to represent the Big Ten West because those games don't matter in the standings help you out, I guess, as far as kind of getting your feet under you and you know not having to worry about any of those games where you're playing your Harry Blacks in the third and fourth quarter because, you know, the the game's out of reach and you're up by 50. I like the fact that you're going up against the competition you're going up against. I think it's going to put you in a good position so that come, you know, Nebraska, Purdue, those early games, you're ready to beat the snot out of them. You mentioned, let's hope to God they don't go 0-3, for sure. Oh, that would not be fun. That would suck, but... In your heart of hearts, what do you think the record is going into that third game against Penn State? 
What do you think um, really happens in week? And, and because I've I've juggled this, Harry, and I talked with Trevor, and he he thinks a split. I'm pretty sure that Jeremy thinks a split. They chalk that up to enough new faces and just enough mistakes to lose one of the first two. And I think most people are looking at that Friday night in Kansas. And I get it, especially what happened last year, Friday night, Indiana, game two. But I, I keep looking at the Bielma track record that whatever happened before, they'll fix that. So I look at Toledo and I think, all right, home game, season opener. They will do what they have to do. They will be focused and get it done, even if it's covering the spread or not. And at the Kansas game, I already bet a thousand bucks with Trevor. There will be a press conference that Monday, and Bielema is without getting asked about it. Will mention how Game Two, Friday night, Indiana, the year before, what that felt like driving home from Bloomington. I guarantee you, he will mention that. So I think two and zero. What do you think? Oof. See, this is this is this is fun and it's interesting because I have the perspective of I there's there's one there's a game like this every year, the first test. And unfortunately, I can't remember. I mean, I when I think about like the first test for teams since I've been a fan of Illinois, even the games that are close and you think will be that first, you know, it's going to be close. We'll see what happens. Always goes against us. With my freshman year, it was Washington at Soldier Field. You thought you could hang in there, and it, you made it close, but it got, gets away from you. Uh, you had some games against Nebraska where they were always your first game. You lose by 30, but you was you had no idea what was going to happen because you played cupcakes before then. Um, you had the South Florida game. You had the North Carolina game. And even last year, you had the uh, Indiana game. All these games year before it was the Virginia game where you're playing quality competition and you think, all right, now we're going to see if this team can finally break through. I think the last time they did would have been like Arizona state in 2012, where there was hype for a game that you then followed through with. And that's the only, that's, that's the pause I have for a game like Kansas, right? For a game like, like where, you're going into it and you're thinking you should be 1-0 because you have the all off season and Illinois hasn't lost the first game of the season in a million years. Um, so you should be 1-0 going into that game. And based on what I saw last year, I do think you go 2-0. But what worries me is just the track record of us falling short in these games at this point. You know, of of that first test, of that first, oh, if we win this one, we'll probably be ranked kind of games. And that's what gives me pause is that I've seen it happen on the other end too much. As, and as recent, like as you just said, as uh, as that Indiana game last year in the same exact situation. At the start of our conversation, though, you said something interesting. I know that fans have that sort of I don't want to say inferior. Well, they do have an inferiority complex, understandably, but more the. Oh, when's the next shoe going to drop? As fans, we have that. You mentioned it specifically as it relates to players and alums. As a player and alum, you feel that too, that, oh God, when's, I've seen this before. Do you think it's more palpable for a former player than it might even be for the fans that they go through their catalog of all these disappointments, but no matter what those, no matter the quantity of them, there's no way that it can match the quality of disappointment felt by a player in the locker room, let's say, last year after that Indiana game. I mean, does it build? Does it does it kind of nest in there? 
I, I would say it if I would say it can, and that's where I would think that like a coaching staff like this, I think can kind of help combat that because you don't want it to. That's the last thing you, you don't want these guys going in there thinking, all right, the, the hype is there, the buildup, the motivation, all the videos that are going to be, you know, fan made and dropped the week going into, um, I mean, probably wouldn't be the Kansas game. It would probably be like, say, Purdue or Indiana um, for a game like that where you're remembering what happened last year. And you don't need any more motivation for any locker room speech when you're, you know, in the locker room getting ready to go out for that Indiana game, for that Purdue game. But then what happens when Indiana returns the opening kickoff 99 yards for a touchdown, you're down 7-0, and you're thinking, here we go again. That's where you need to be in the situation where you have, I guess, a coaching staff who's kind of like built it into you that this isn't the way we're going to think. This is, you know, we have a plan. We're not going to change up everything that we're doing. We're going to go out there and we're going to do what we've been doing all week in practice. And that's why I'd like, there was never any panic that I've seen from this coaching staff. You know, even, even at the end of the year last year where you start to lose those games, none of them were like runaways. You know, there was weird stuff that was happening. The Michigan State game had the weather. You didn't get blown out by Purdue. You didn't get blown out by Michigan. You didn't get blown out by Mississippi State. These were all close games. You know, the wheels never really felt like they were falling off. And if that's the sense in a macro, like, multiple weeks kind of thing – then I think that that only bodes well for um, for what like the psyche of the players is going to be in these like revenge narrative games. Is that I think the coaching staffs, and I think this one in particular, because we've kind of seen that you know the whole typical Illini thing isn't happening. I think that's going to carry over. I mean, part of it's wishful thinking, but part of it's because what we saw last year, what we saw the year before from this coaching staff is that I think you are in a situation where you have the right guys in charge that are going to make it so that kind of narrative won't creep back into the uh, the mindsets of the players. There's nothing you can do about the fans. You know, there's nothing you can do about what the fans think. You know, typical I&I, if they lose a game, they shouldn't lose. Um, but I think that, the, I think that the, the players are going to be in a situation um, and I think they're already in a situation with the guys that they have leading them that they're not going to fall down that rabbit hole. Can the sideline sense when the crowd starts thinking, oh, God. And I want to give you an example. I know you were thinking about coming for the Purdue game last year, and God God bless that you didn't because that would have just been a bummer. It was a, one of the most bummer days as I've had as a sports fan. So I do recall, though, it, it was palpable. In that stadium, the yeah, this ain't it. It, it, ain't, it ain't happening from the fans. So does does that kind of like a a, a cloud of fart just kind of sprinkle over the locker, <laughs> sprinkle over the sideline, and just? I mean, I wonder it because it just I feel it. So I'm like, I I was walking around the concourse of the stadium, like I gotta remo- remove myself from this funk. I mean, it's just really a negative energy that was building in there because everyone could sense, yeah, it ain't happening. By the way, uh, two things. One, that game took me weeks to recover from. It sucks. That was, oh my god, that was awful. I, yeah, because I don't think I've been on a podcast with you since then. But yeah, that one was brutal. Um, what did you say though that the moment was that? Um, mm, I well, the anger was of course first the 
ridiculous pass interference against Witherspoon, uh, and then the very next play being yep. an inch away from picking off what was, ended up being a touchdown from Purdue. And there was plenty of game left. I think that was the second quarter, but everything felt so labored. And there was already the sort of, if you're in a cold environment enough, a cold football game, your body starts tightening up anyways. So I'm, people are tight, they're cold, it's crummy, it's wet, it's windy, and it was just not even really a slow burn. I would say after that moment, it just got kind of angry in there. It was not a fun place to be. Yeah, I would say, I would say that's definitely more palpable as a, um, as a, as a fan, because first of all, I knew that was, you know, I asked you what moment it was. And then as soon as I did, I was like, I know what moment it was. Cause it's the same moment where I thought as a fan, it's 14, 14, we're going into halftime. And all I could think is it's over. It's over. Like, I remember like whatever the, you know, 40 minute halftimes that they have in college football, which that's a whole nother podcast. But literally, it's a whole. You can record a whole nother podcast. <laughs> no, um, but you know, just I remember thinking that whole time, it, the it, you know, it's not over, but it's over. Mm-hmm. Stupid stuff like that that shouldn't be true, but that you're kind of conditioned to think. But I will say that doesn't really tend to creep in for the players because you you know you're busy. You got to do stuff. You got to focus on. Okay, that sucked whatever play it might have been that just happened, but I got to focus on, you know, what are we coming back with in the next drive? What did they see up in the booth that, you know, you know, coach such and such is going to tell us, all right, we're coming back. We're running this next time we're out. We're running this, you know, next time we're on defense. So I, like I'm thinking back to when I was, um, you know, when I was on the sidelines and the only instance I can really think where you took the air out of the stadium and the game was already kind of over uh, was my freshman year. We were playing Michigan state. And they drove down the field. I think they were up like 14 to three or something. And they throw a desperation pass that should have been picked off. And then they catch it for a touchdown. Very similar to the Purdue play. But that made it like 21 to three. And that kind of gives you the the idea of, okay, you know, now it's going to get away from us. Um, the, yeah, the moments that kind of give a player that sense are usually ones far after the, uh, after the fans are thinking. Okay. Okay, this is over. Because the only time I really ever tended to think that on the sideline would be when you had that typical play that it unfortunately seemed like we had a lot of. You're down by ten or whatever, and then Amir Abdullah runs it up the middle for a four, you know, forty yard touchdown with uh, with your defensive backs trailing. Um, so I would say that the only real that that is probably more of a. Um, of a fan sensation of, of um, okay, this game's getting away from us. This one's over because the players, for the most part, they're just, you know, they're literally just locked in and only focus on one thing. All right. I've done this with each guest this month. So it's been Jeremy, Isaac and Trevor. I want to do a quick kind of lightning round of the 12 game schedule. And the way we're going to do this is I'm going to give you a three game increment and I want you to tell me what you think the record's going to be. So we're doing the Lovey Smith quarters thing. Yes. And, and it's Which, not, by the way, oh. by, by, by the way uh, Beckman did that too. Oh, okay. Good old Tim. Yeah. TB. Yeah, TB. <laughs> Have you texted him recently? Uh, how recently? I think I probably just text him around the holidays. He's he's yeah. a good man. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Come on. That's the that's the Big Ten coach that gave you know me a chance to play at a Big Ten school. Yeah. 
No, I, come on. I, I got no, I know the Sianovich thing happened, but I mean, I'm sorry. that, that no, That's yeah, just, okay. yeah, it's whatever. <laughs> okay, so we're going to do quarters here. The first quarter is Toledo at home, Kansas on the road, Penn State at home. What's the record? Uh, you know, the, the skeptic in me, this might be a little bit to kind of like shield myself. Sure. But I do think I, I think that's going to be I think that's a one and two. I think that's I think, and I think it's you beat I think you beat um, Toledo. I think you beat them handily. I think Kansas is close, and I think Penn State is close. I think because this guy only loses close games, but I think Kansas is going to be an insane environment because um, they're selling out tickets just like we are because they're kind of in a similar renaissance to us and you know you're going to go into that environment and it could be a close weird game but they got a quarterback you know who's likes to sling it all over the place and you have a young secondary so this will be kind of your you know you're you're feeling your bumps and bruises game and then penn state's you know a contender in the big 10 i mean what are you going to say about that you could play your a triple plus game you're going to need to have some things go your way so I, I think one and two, and I don't think I would feel – I mean, I wouldn't be happy because he'd be one and two, but I don't think that that would be the sky is falling. I'm going two and one, and I think you're correct, though. Even at one and two, you don't feel like the sky is falling because Florida Atlantic – or no, right? Yeah, Florida Atlantic. And then – oh, at Purdue. And then Nebraska okay. at, at Nebraska at home. So those three, what say you? <laughs> you know, I uh, Florida Atlantic's a win. Um, Purdue, Purdue. I think uh, oof, I think you beat Purdue by a lot. You and Trevor think that. <laughs> yeah, I think. Oh my God, I think you go into that game because first of all, you know, <laughs> for all intents and purposes, it gives you the same advantage of a home as a home game because you only win in Purdue and Purdue only wins in Champaign. True. So, you know, we have the the quote-unquote advantage this time of it being uh, over in Lafayette. So I think that that, um, I think you're going to go in there, and, I, and they got a new coach who's, you know, you're familiar with, and he's familiar with us. But I, I think, I, I just find it hard that you're not going to go into that game. It's so early enough, too. It's your first Big Ten West team, and this is the team that kept you out of the Big Ten championship. No, I think... I think you win that game by like three touchdowns. Yeah, Trevor uh, said blowout, and I. So you think that 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 juice from the pr- last year's disappointment that that can propel you in a game like that? Let alone the fact your former defensive coordinator is on the other sideline. Yeah, and not only that, not only that, this game has the feeling of a game where you could be up twenty-four to zero. Um, you know with like you know two minutes left and you're on they have no timeouts and you're on the 20 yard line and you do like a fake kneel and then like do a like little pass i'd I'd like that like yeah that's for last year and uh which by the way i think that would be awesome because we don't have a lot of great football rivalries i think we need to start just brewing some up and northwestern's nothing so Mm, they're gonna be terrible for a long time yeah thank well i'm not mad about that nope uh but okay, so that's two right there. And Nebraska at home on a Friday night. After that, Nebraska at home on a Friday night. You know what? We kind of have their number. I think Matt Rule is going to get things going there, but I think it's too early in the season. I like that you get them early, ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
I'm tentative to say it, but I think three and zero in that little three game quadrant. Agreed. So you're at a healthy four and two. I'm at a whoa five and one. Now, <laughs> hey, whoa, hey, and then the next three is where I think it really tells the tale of the season, and that would be at Maryland, Wisconsin at home, at Minnesota. Okay. A bye week awaits uh, after the Minnesota game. No, I'm sorry. A bye week after the Wisconsin homecoming game. So that's before oh. the Minnesota game on the road. Okay, I like the placement of that bye week. It, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Now that I think about it. Because Bielema is very good after bye weeks and extra time. Didn't we have a bye week after did we did we have a bye week after Iowa and before Minnesota last year? No, we had it after Minnesota and then the start of the Nebraska game after the bye week, it wasn't a great first quarter. I think Nebraska might have even been leading after quarter one. Yeah. Or yeah. But then there was another half bye week when you played Chattanooga on a Thursday, got two extra days of prep before you went into Wisconsin. Okay. All right. Okay, Maryland was not bad last year. They had, what is it? I think they played Michigan pretty close. They played Ohio State in very close. I think they got blown out by, like, Penn State, if that makes sense. They had one of those weird games mm-hmm. where it's like they're going into – they'll be getting ready to play Penn State, and the hot pick will be like, oh, I think Maryland can you know hang around with them, and then Penn State wins, like, 66-0. to Um. You know what? It's at Maryland. I don't think we've ever beaten them. Um, Remember when we got smoked in, I think, 2018 out there? Like 70 to 20? I got If you look at the box score for that, they had like five touchdowns that were like over 50 yards. That was that high high risk, no reward. Love you. So I, me and Trevor think this is no. It's just one of those things you look on the schedule and say, "Don't like it. Not going to happen." I think in a weird yeah. way. I, I think that Maryland, uh, and I'm sure this is probably. I think I even this might be like a cop out, but I think with Maryland and Wisconsin, because I think you lose Maryland and beat Wisconsin. But I would not be surprised if it goes the other way. Mm-hmm. I don't think Mar- I don't think Wisconsin's looking at us as a revenge game. I think Wisconsin's looking at all of last year as, okay, we need to right the ship kind of thing, um, as opposed to you know our game, say with Indiana or Purdue. Um, so I think you you win that Wisconsin game. I think you're one and one in those two, and I think until you prove me otherwise. Bielema, all he does is beat Minnesota. Nine and zero, nine and zero. You know so, what? I'm I'm starting to change my tune on these middle three, Harry. I think you protected yourself with the first three, going one and two, right? And yeah. saying, yeah, it's a little bit of you know, you're kind of putting on a cup there because of what you know could happen. And I was going to go one and two in these three, but then thinking about the bye week. And thinking about Minnesota, who will be fine. They're, they're going to win seven, eight games like P.J. Fleck does, which is good for him. Yeah. I, I think I'm going 2-1-1. One, one. I think I'm switching it. Okay. So you you have – okay. I, I had I them like losing at Maryland. I I just – I know they're going to lose at Maryland. Book it. It ain't going to happen. It's just going to be – one. and like Trevor said, it's on Peacock, whatever, with <laughs> who knows announcing from a remote location – and all the old Illini blue hairs are going to be like, where's the game at? I can't find the game. PBS, what is, who's still doing this now? Gamecock? 
I, I went to South Carolina. <laughs> so I, I, I just, I think that's the most likely loss of the three because I just know that Bielma's team will get up for homecoming in Wisconsin, in, instituting a, or installing a pass happy offense, and they got some transfers that'll help ease that. But it's like Wisconsin, they did go six and six last year, but they got some things to fix. It's not like Paul Chris left them with. A level talent. They got. They got to get there, and I think Luke Fickle will to to a degree. Yeah, I think he will too. But I'm also looking at at Luke Fickle. This, this is the same guy who was at a you know blue chip program, albeit just for one year back ten years ago, and won six games at Ohio State. Like I feel like you could put a dog in a coaching outfit, and then they'd be able to win six games at one of the, you know some of these programs. Which is why it always baffles me why like you know like uh, Oklahoma went six and six last year, and Venables is you know should be on the hot seat already because these are places that are just dripping with talent. Um, so I think he'll be the guy at Wisconsin, but until I see him actually do it, I'm gonna say he's gonna need some time to get it done. So yeah, I'm more confident in that one as a as far as a win goes than uh than maryland just because maryland like i mean they're weird it you, you don't play them a lot and when you do watch them they just you know they, they they're able to hang around like like i just said they hung around with ohio state last year probably you know could have been even closer in that game than it was yeah. so yeah I'm, I'm with you i'm saying two and one in those three that puts me at seven and two that puts you at six and three Healthy six and three. That is a healthy six and three, which leads to the last three: Indiana at home, Iowa on the road, Northwestern at home. Oh my God! If we are six and three, we're Indiana and Northwestern blooming. Oh my God! I would feel so good about that. Oh my. Okay, so Indiana, you. Oh my God! That's going to be late in the year. So you know they're going to be dead. Uh, you should, and it's going to be at home. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh my god. That you might win that game by forty points. Okay. Um. Then you go in for me. That'll be seven and three. Ooh, you're playing Iowa. I'm and eight and Iowa two City. at Iowa City. Might have to drive up there for that. Ooh, I'll tell you what, man. Because at that point, Iowa will have had. They'll have one more after you. So they'll have um, Nebraska left. So by then, you're probably going to, if everything goes right, and I'll say this, I think the three teams that are in, I think if I were to pick three teams for the Big Ten West this year, I would, you know, I have to be objective. I would say my favorite would be Iowa. After them, though, I think, I can't say Illinois is, you know, I think is like the second and I know they're not going to be the second favorite betting odds, but I put them right up there with Minnesota as far as who I'm confident in will be like in the conversation for Big Ten West title at that point in the year. I think it's Iowa should be the favorite. I mean, they were a bad loss against a bad Nebraska team away last year from making the Big Ten championship. And and that was a, with a loss to you. So, you know, Ference gets it done, like maybe not on the offensive side, but he finds a way to get his team to seven, eight, nine wins every year. I think in Iowa City, ah, uh, man. It's I, hard for me to pick that as a win. It, it, yeah. it still is. Because you yeah. know what, Harry? Even in that three game stretch at home last year, 
or the three-game stretch of at Wisconsin, Iowa at home, Minnesota at home. Iowa was far and away the toughest team. That yeah, game took yeah. that game took every bit of you. And yeah. you, you had a lot of mistakes, and you still overcame them. But by the end of that, it was both jubilation and exhaustion. And you just saw that, wow, Iowa is still at a level that I think you can match. But it's also at a level that's been sustained now for 20-plus years. And, and they do seem like the bigger dragon to slay this year. And I say that, not convinced of Cade McNamara, but knowing he's an upgrade, for sure. Yeah. Certainly not convinced about their skill players. But knowing that, hey, all they got to do is score 20 points, and they're going to win the damn game. And Man, they score 10 points, and they might win the game if it was played last year. No, I mean, this... I would say in this... And, you know, actually, I got I to, um, you know redo or redux something I said earlier. The last game you had a lot of hype going into where you were actually able to pay it off would have been last year's Iowa game. Yeah, and Minnesota had like, some uh, Minnesota had some hype going into it too for homecoming and just having beaten Iowa. Yeah, well, yeah, and it came from that game against Iowa because that also got us ranked, right? I think beating uh, Iowa was the 25th. At least receiving votes, and then the question that week was, will Tommy play against Minnesota? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I think, I think I'm in the same boat with you. I think, I, I think a lot will be on the line for that game in Iowa city. And I think, um, oh, how cool would it be? I mean, obviously it wouldn't matter for us if game day, like goes to that game. I mean, if it's for the big 10 West, it very well, very well, uh, might get it. But I, I do think you, you end the season two and one with the one coming at Kinnick, um, so that would put me at a uh, at an eight and four two Yeah, and you know what, Harry? What I'm going to add as an addendum to mine nine and three because I have an Iowa loss. Same thing. I mean, for all the reasons we just spoke about, and then of course you're going to smoke Northwestern in the season. There'll be three straight smoke jobs. Is what's a smoke job? I don't know. Use your <laughs> imagination. A, a three straight smoke jobs of Northwestern, just plugging and chugging all day long. And that puts me at nine and three, but I got to be honest, what I did not factor in was the icky ugh, kind of loss. So as we close out here, eight and four, would we both be over the moon with eight and four? I sure would be. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I'll say it this way is I don't think eight and four would end the same way it would last year because I don't see you losing like to, I mean, who, who, what? That would be Minnesota. Like if you lost, like say Minnesota, Indiana, and Iowa, which yeah, I don't see, think happen like that. You're it's not win, the same. You're going to win two of your last three, right there. Yeah, right. If you don't, then there is cause for concern. But I also think there's no way. Like some of the most encouraging wins I've seen from this team in the last two years. Maybe the most encouraging was two years ago against Northwestern, because that was the first one you were where you were like, and I think we were talking um, on the group thread when that game was going on, was like, you should be doing this. This is nice because we're not going to a bowl game this year, but we have so much to build on from this one thrashing of a team that we should thrash every year. So, and they're going to be in disarray. You're going to destroy them. Indiana, you know, they're going to be at the end of another season where they'll probably have two or three wins at that point. And don't forget the revenge game narrative. If Bielma really wants to pull that card out for the Indiana game. Oh, he will. He will. I mean, I think with that one, they'll say, you know, hold on to every ball for, you know, the first 10 steps after you get up off the ground. Oh, my God, that one. So I don't like to go back to one play, but oh, my goodness. No, I, I think 
I think eight and four, you're, you're, yeah. I, how nice would it be? And this is what we dream of. Eight and four this year, going into the offseason saying, God, I hope we don't go eight and four again. You know, I mean, that that's that's the dream. That's the dream right there is to be able to go into that level of consistency where something like that gets boring, which, yeah. hey, man, sign me up for that 10 times out of 10. Because, I I, I mean, that's all I want is for a, a, a program that can compete. We've seen them compete last year. And I think that this is, you know, the schedule is it's not awful. And this is your last chance to really realistically make Indy for a little bit until they move it out to wherever. I think they're doing some games out in Las Vegas, right, for the future of the Big Ten game, which I don't like that. Yeah, probably. Who, who cares? Um, you know, it's it's all there for them. It's all there for them. If you were to ask me a percent chance, I think that Illinois makes Indianapolis. I would put it at a – put it at like a 15% to 20%, you know, because I think it's you, it's Iowa, or it's Minnesota. Notice I didn't. I didn't hear you say Wisconsin. I, I feel like they are a bit overrated in the Big Ten West race. Myself. Yeah, I, I'm not buying Wisconsin until I see Luke Fickle do it at the Big Ten level. You know, now I could very well be wrong four weeks in where they're four and zero and just you know smoking everyone in their way. But you know, him and Matt Rule. That's another reason, man. The the coaches with the pedigree right now are the ones who I had mentioned. You, Minnesota, and Iowa. So. While you have the upper leg on these other guys still getting their feet wet, you know, back in college uh, or, you know, in a big conference for the first time, you got to take it. It's 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 lining up almost to the point where you're going to look back on it and say, man, either thank God we took advantage of it or damn. Remember that year where it was all there for Illinois to take advantage of and they just came up short. And I mean, one of those two is going to happen. And uh, and and I yeah, I don't I don't buy I don't buy rule yet. I don't buy what well, he'll be a good coach, obviously at the big 10 level because he's done before, but first year at a dumpster fire that Scott Frost left behind and uh, Luke fickle won six, seven games, but I don't see him competing in the West quite yet. Two things for Lego. Harry one would love to do this periodically through the season. So let's find some times. Then we have some games we can talk about and, you know, just would love some midweek stuff we can do. Hey man, I this hey I uh, sign me up for that. I would say probably not the uh, not the second half ones because for the most part oh, on yeah, Saturdays I'm watching you know one of those. I'm sure there's a scene in like a Simpsons somewhere where like Homer's one eye is watching something and then something else has to be focused. <laughs> on, and that's me at work when Illinois is on. I have them on one TV and I'm doing my you know whatever show they have me on at that given moment. Um, but no, definitely some middle middle of the week stuff. I you know would love to react to a um, a satisfying W over a Penn State team by twenty. Uh, yeah, let's 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 say let's say we're gonna win that game by you know a cool twenty one. Mm. Why not? I, I also you mentioned the Homer Simpson thing. I'm imagining you late at night at ESPN taking a little nap and you got those glasses on that makes it I can hear your thoughts too boy meow 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 so that's one and two if you ever venture back to champagne you got a place to crash so we we got we got a spot for you for any football game if you make it back well I appreciate that because I know I know I 
I wanted to last year and I just, you know, wasn't working with, you know, with work, unfortunately, but I'm trying to get back. And, uh, yeah, for, I, I, I will hold you to that because I, uh, I am, I, I, I still, you know, hotels aren't cheap. So no, no, they are <laughs> certainly not. So, but Harry, I appreciate it, man. So we will do this again soon and, uh, good talking to you. Talk to you soon, bud. All right, man. All right. Harry Black here on the 200 level via Zoom and uh, always appreciate his time. And yeah, we'll get him back because if you recall, when you listen to 93.5, we did a lot of football season stuff with Harry. He knows his stuff. I love the extra perspective that he can give to the college football experience. He's a funny guy. He's just super sharp and fun to talk to. So I hope you enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed talking to him. Okay, before we get out of here, just a quick reminder that we will have a podcast either Sunday or Monday, right? Yeah, either Sunday or Monday. We will do a listener mailbag kind of thing where we get your takes on what you expect for this 2023 Illini football season. And then next Friday, September 1st, we will be at Poor Brothers in downtown Champaign. So you can join us at 6 p.m. Friday, September 1st for a live show. Me and Isaac Ambrose doing the first live 200 level. Going to be a lot of fun. Before we get out of here, DP Doe, online at dpdoe.com. For all the best deals and prices, dpdoe.com. Also, State Farm Agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Life Auto Home Business Renters, you name it, Brian is my guy. And he can be your guy as well at brianismyguy.com. Also, Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing, your home's best friend. Give them a call at 217-841-4728. That's Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. And Owen Builders, LLC, Luke Owen and his staff, Expert craftsmen, great customer service. You can find them online at owenbuildersllc.com. Finally, Champagne Center Partnership is hosting a Campus Town Street Fest September 9th, 1 to 7 p.m. Enjoy live free music, dance performances. You can shop local vendors and explore a global array of restaurants during Chow Down and Campus Town. Sounds like a Guy Fieri thing. I like it. Presented by JSM Living in the City of Champaign. Powered by the Champagne Center Partnership. More details at ChampagneCenter.com. Thank you to Champagne Center Partnership for their partnership this month. And maybe even beyond that, we enjoy having them on the show. And Champagne Showers Podcast Network. But most of all, appreciate you. Uh, again, the numbers are way up. And the expectations and the excitement, all of that. I keep using the word palpable because I like the word and uh, redundant as it may be. It is palpable. We're feeling it here in Champaign-Urbana. So 10 days away from the first game of the season. I'm sure you're feeling it too and probably trying to consume every bit of Illini media you can. So thank you for making the 200 level part of that Illini media rotation. All right, everybody. Going to take a few day break here before we get back Sunday or Monday. We'll keep you posted when that is and get your feedback on our 200 level Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it at the 200 level look out for a question i want to hear from you and we'll do a live youtube podcast for that as well in the meantime everybody stay safe stay healthy and for the love of god stay hydrated it's hot see you soon everybody it is the 200 level